ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. Do you trust everything you see online? Of course you don't. But what if you could? This week on Download the Show, a new concept that will allow you to distinguish between AI-generated and human-generated content. Maybe. Also on the show, would you let your friends and family choose your dates on an online dating app? All of that and much more coming up. This is your guide to the week in media, technology and culture. My name is Mark Fennell and welcome to Download This Show. Yes, indeed. It is a brand new episode of Download This Show and welcome back into the studio, Dr. Jack Ryan, science and technology reporter with ABC Science. He said, don't call me doctor on air, but I did it anyway because I'm mean. <laughs> welcome back to the show. <laughs> Thanks, mate. Yeah, get the doctor in there. Thank you. He's a bone doctor too. Ask him about it at parties. He'll tell you all about it. Alongside Jack, we have Natasha Gillazo, uh, tech reporter, but also product lead at Missing Perspectives. Tash, welcome back. Hey. Uh... So... The most exciting thing in the world of science and technology, the combination of the Australian government and Microsoft. Tash, we had a very big news event coming out of the US involving cybersecurity in Australia. Talk me through it. Yeah, so basically um, the Australian Signals Directorate, which is a subset of a government department in Australia, has signed a massive contract with Microsoft, which is a fang stock, um, one of the American vendors, for $5 billion. And it's a cybersecurity contract. So here's the thing. I feel like that was the headline when it happened. And I remember looking at the TV and going, I don't really get what they're going to do. Jack, what are they going to do? Do. Oh, that's a great question mark. And in my notes here, I sort of just have question marks. And then I, after that, it says profit. So uh, I think, no, I think so. Is it, is it us? Are we profiting? Is I think, that what it is? no, I don't think we're profiting oh, okay. at all. Um, okay. So, so one <laughs> no. of the things is they, the, they're going to work with the Australian Signals Director, like Tash said, and they're building this cyber shield, right? So, and I, I, no one can see my air quotes, but I'm doing the air quotes in the studio. And they're dubbing it Max, which I think is silly. M-A-C-S, Max, that's actually an Apple product, right? All of that aside, it seems to just be to skill up in industry across artificial intelligence and cloud computing. Now, how does that translate to national security and defense? Your guess is as good as mine, my friend. So actually, have a guess. Uh, <laughs> well, I mean, I, I guess the, the, the first observation, Tash, I would make is that maybe it's not you don't announce the intricate details of your cybersecurity mm. plan from the White House because people might be paying attention. <laughs> like, suppose there's that argument. But at the same time, it's a lot of money. Dash, uh, do we have a greater sense of exactly how that is going to be spent? No, not yet in kind of like a granular detail. I mean, in terms of like to actually land this kind of contract, you can't just like not have a plan. Like Microsoft would have to detail um, how it would basically plan on allocating these funds over a certain period of time. As a government contract of this size, there's like a higher standard than you or I going down to the shop and buying like a paddle pop. Obviously, um, it can later be audited. But we still don't know kind of like the exact kind of like spend details. I think from a policy point of view, $5 billion is also just like an impressive sounding number. So I think view that more as a signal or a hoped for signal to the Australian public that it takes security seriously, which often does well with voters more than an actual, like, what is the plan here? And also it gives them something to talk about when Albo's in America. And we absolutely need a cyber shield, though. Let's be, 
like clear about yeah, that because it's a good idea. Yeah, like, like there's, a, there's a good like essence of an idea in here. It's just like the details aren't super clear. I mean, Microsoft, I think, is probably a good choice. Like Microsoft is, you know, has partners with the American government, the Department of Defense. So obviously, other governments around the world have kind of given this company the all clear when it comes to this kind of work. So it's not a super rogue choice in terms of like the actual company. I think the questions are really just like what kind of security are we talking about and how how will that work in practice? I don't know. The other people behind Bing. I mean, come on. <laughs> Sorry, that, yeah, was, the, like, that search, was the lowest is, of digs. Search is different to security. They I'm do joking. all the boring stuff. Like I'm joking. And blah, blah, blah. <laughs> to be honest with you, it sounds like a great term, but what does it actually mean? Yeah, I mean, I think the idea of the cyber shield is like, the, that, that's a nebulous idea that there are just people who are, working in computing again i'm doing air quotes but like working in cloud computing working in artificial intelligence and all of these systems working together with skilled people are able to prevent cyber attacks so let's say another nation state wanted to attack our like it has happened medibank or a, a particular hack then in theory the cyber should should prevent this because we've skilled up our our workforce enough um whether or not that is actually what's going to happen, I can't say because there aren't many details here. I guess we'll wait and see. We'll wait and see. Actually, the, actually, the funny thing with this kind of technology is that often you, if it works, you don't realise it exists, right? Yes. Because And that's often a complaint you hear talking to people that work in law enforcement is that, you know, if they do their job correctly, the public never quite knows. So we actually may never know. And we've, I feel like we won't. Well, if it works. If it works. Download this show. It's what you're listening to. It is your guide to the week in media, technology, culture, and deeply inscrutable cybersecurity laws. Uh, Mark Fennell is my name. Our guest this week, Dr. Jack Ryan. I'm just going to commit to calling you doctor. Uh, and Natasha Gillazo. Now, Natasha, when you look at an image, how can you trust that it hasn't been digitally altered? There is a new-ish plan for how you can have more trust in what you're looking at with pictures. Talk me through the idea of a content credential. For sure. So a content credential is, um, it's been set up by a not-for-profit based in San Francisco, Linux Foundation, and it allows you to drag and drop an image, like a photograph, and from there, it'll tell you if that image has been edited and also some other things like the source of the image. So kind of interesting there's there's two use cases i guess for this particular service it's one i think like teaching some tech literacy like what you're seeing is not necessarily what you think it is but two the use case is for artists to prove if they think that their original art has been used in ai generated art and the promise from these guys is basically it's a sort of like know if what you're seeing is real. To some extent, that doesn't always matter, to be honest, because AI art can be really beautiful. We look at edited images all the time in magazines. Like The authenticity thing is maybe less interesting, but there is something here from this tool, Content Credentials, and it's definitely topical with a lot of unknowns around AI. So what exactly are you going to see when you kind of load up a picture? What kind of data is it going to tell you? Location, how much they've changed the contrast and the saturation? Yeah, uh, well, I think like we can talk about content credentials from this one company or we can talk about it more generally, right? So it's taking the metadata of the image or even the, the document or the generated text and it's giving you yeah, things like location, what time it was edited, how it was edited, which kind of program was used to edit it. And I think that's 
probably where the the power of it comes from. If you can tell that something was made by an AI, then perhaps you trust it less or you can be sceptical at least. One of the things it was compared to is nutritional labels. So it was like, okay, I can look at this image, I can look at its nutritional label content credential and I can say, okay, this is not good for me or this is good for me. Now we know information is different from food. Mm. Certain people read nutritional labels and certain people don't. So the effectiveness of this content credential, like stopping misinformation, that's where I kind of go, mm, I don't know, I don't know. Well, well hold on, why, why not though? Like, Because I think, I mean, let, let, let's put AI off to one side. Right? Yes. Let's just say like actual real images. Uh, the moment you understand, you know, dates and locations, obviously that's invaluable for, for certain things, but also information on, you know, how much it's been edited. Did they, you know, remove something from the background, the contrast and, and the cropping, like that are we all just about to get a massive education in how Photoshop works? I'd, I mean, I'd love that to be the case, Mark, but I don't think that's what's going I don't think people care. I, re- I really don't. I, I mean, you see an image on Twitter, are you going to slow down? Sorry, on X, are you going to slow down? <laughs> no, 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 no. This is a Twitter. This is <laughs> this an X-free zone. I'm, I cannot be bothered renaming. Excellent. It's Twitter same. for us and it will remain that way. But, like, are you going to slow down and see where the provenance of that image come from? Now, you know, we're in a, a, a pretty interesting time, I guess, where misinformation can spread really quickly on these platforms. And if you're conscious of it, maybe you're interested in it. But if you're not really thinking about misinformation, would you slow down and then check where the images come from? I don't know. I think the do people care question is actually really salient. I was speaking to Drav Galati the other week, who was the founder of a AI-led company called Factmata, which um, was a for-profit, so able to move a lot faster um, for identifying misinformation. And Drav actually said, you know, the Israel-Palestine conflict at the moment is happening, and he was using some of the tools to show images that had been mislabeled um, that were from the conflict, either as you know parachutes that weren't actually even in the conflict. Different examples, and he said that you know, depending on who you're showing, like some people just didn't care about the truth and it's a funny one so it's like this content credentials are set up with this very like optimistic like people want to know for themselves and they will drag and drop and they will be shocked to discover that images are edited so i think the framing is really important and yeah the why is important i suspect once people know that they can look at the the data that that not everyone obviously but i think i think there will be a quotient of people that do and I hate this phrase because it's been so mis- misused, but quote unquote, will do their own research. Like <laughs> I know that, that that term has become somewhat weaponized, but that's that's what I'm going with. There are times when an exact location for a photo puts people in danger, when it puts, you know, the, the photographer or um, other people in danger. Is there legitimate times you will want, Jack, to actually obscure that? And will that be a- available? Yeah, that's a great question. I think like what I think about is sort of the flip of that or maybe the opposite of that in that will people, knowing that there's this this system in place, will bad actors actually just be able to go completely around it anyway and subvert it? So as soon as we int- introduce new technology, we know that that technology is often manipulated in a way that makes it easier for bad actors to use. And I do think that you raise an important point about like location information, some of the metadata revealing details that perhaps people aren't ready to reveal or comfortable with revealing. And there are, you know, in the scientific literature, there are a lot of emerging watermarking type solutions like this. Like with um, ChatGPT uh, or generated text, there's this idea now that you can insert code behind the text that no human would ever see. But if you ran it through another AI program, it would be able to tell, even without the text looking any different, that it was generated by an AI. And it's just these very, very tiny watermarks in the, in the ones and zeros, literally, 
underlie that thing. So I, I, I don't know. I feel like the, this technology, when you put a new technology out, people find a way to subvert that, the good of that technology. And as Tash said, it's like we're very optimistic about content credentials and yet we can do all these bad things with it if we just start thinking about it. Sorry, Mark. I don't, I don't necessarily <laughs> see this whole space as like necessarily like there's using AI for good and there's using AI for bad. Like I think it's actually like way more gray than that. For example, LipDub allows basically like the, the AI automated dubbing of like video. Like are they good? Are they bad? Like it's, it's kind of, it's kind of, it's about how it's, they're it's used. New. It's about yeah. how they're used. Yeah. I mean, for example, Harry Stebbings, who's a podcaster, all his ads at the start of the podcast, the, this is brought to you, they're all AI generated. They've listened to 10,000 hours of his voice. He doesn't read those ads anymore. I think that's a little strange, but <laughs> it's gray, right? Like it's it's a gray thing. Um, so what do you guys think? I'm really curious. Uh, I like the idea of never having to voice a promo again. No. <laughs> that's great for you, Mark. You're like, <laughs> yeah. People, Tash, you keep saying it'd be great for Mark, but there is no Mark. Yeah. I'm talking to no one. <laughs> It's There's no one a, in the studio. It's just me. It's Jack, just a machine. Stop. People already think I'm AI because I'm too slightly too ubiquitous at the moment. Um, I think you're right. I think the the debate we have around AI can be very binary. If you look at something and go, it's too easy, it's too convenient, and it's too cost effective, you know it's going to get used, right, Jack? So I. I think there's a degree of inevitability to this technology. And with that comes, I, I suppose, can we at least, walk, if, if we're going to fall into the doorway, can we at least fall into the doorway with our eyes open, Jack? Yeah, yeah. I, I, I mean, I don't want to, like, slam content credentials. This is the right idea. We're doing the right thing. It's a tool, though. It's a tool. And, you know, you talk about sort of the door yourself being AI generated. And <laughs> okay, okay. For, the, for the record, I did not bring up this idea. <laughs> and, um, and that is obvious to people probably. It's a little bit more, maybe right now, it's more obvious to people if, some, if a person is AI generated. It will become very hard to determine, I, I think. But uh, with the content credentials thing, I think it's more of for images and maybe text right now. And that is a good tool to have as we move into this new world where AI is going to be sort of ubiquitous and very difficult to separate truth from, from fiction even more than it is today. Nat, you, you took a sharp and take a breath as though you're about to say something. <laughs> I, yeah, I mean, I, I feel like having tools like content credentials are like attempts to be like, okay, we can't slow this down, but like maybe we can like spark a conversation around it in a way that's like not coming out and being like, the fact that this image has been altered is bad. Like the the, the actual way that the website has been set up is, is not really making a value judgment about that. It's sort of like provoking the conversation, which is much um, nicer. Can I just add one thing, Mark? So I do a lot of work in research integrity. And I think in this space, we are walking through the way with our eyes closed a little bit because very soon we're going to be able to generate experimental images that look real that you could make up results about and put them in a scientific article and we're not going to be able to tell if those were AI generated if they are real images and this problem has existed for a long time it's just going to be ramped up now right and so I think about this in those terms and I think well like I get scared by that and so I wonder if you know something like content credentials is is something you can put at the start of this process when you're putting a scientific article to a publisher and they say We've checked your images and they have some weird edits. Why, why did this edit happen? Where did this come from? Maybe in this space, like that is where we can start to use content credentials rapidly. I really like that. It's like a process kind of thing. Mm. And like when you build something into the process, then it's also, also like, yeah, it slows it down a bit. But that in and of itself across the system 
yields better results kind of thing. It's just sort of adding an extra layer though, isn't it? It's like, is it's going to be an extra layer of verification needed for absolutely everything? And then the publishers want more money for that and then they don't have yeah. enough staff and then they just stop doing it anyway because it's too much effort. More middle management. Okay, well, that's fun. Uh, download the show is what you're listening to. It is your guide to the week in media, technology and culture. Once upon a time, uh, verification on platforms like Facebook and Twitter was a process through which you sort of signed up and somebody went, yes, you're a real person. But now paid verification has become Duriger on a whole bunch of different platforms. And there are some people, Jack, that argue that it's actually destroying those apps. Explain this to me. I love this topic because it comes back to in shitification. Do you know in shitification? Just a warning if you've got kids in the car. Apologies. It's a real term that Jack didn't come up with. He's that's, not swearing. That's right. Uh, it was coined by uh, Corey Doctorow, and, uh, I think a Canadian author. And basically it's like this idea of platform decay, that as over time as platforms turn into, like social media platforms turn into businesses, that they want to extract more profit from their user base. Originally that might come from like advertisers and stuff, but over time it turns to the, the users themselves sort of paying for this service. And I think that's what we're seeing with, pretty much every platform that we're on social media platform at the moment. And the inshitification aspect is that it just makes them worse. I feel like they feel like this is almost a way to supplement some of the advertising revenue that has disappeared. And you can kind of it take advantage. Like that's so wild. Like Meta was fine with ad revenue. So, you know, as in. Yeah, Meta maybe, but I think like obviously Musk and, and Twitter are having big issues here. But I, I think it's. I, th- about- I think it's very much an issue with, with Twitter. Twitter. I'm not sure. I think Facebook was probably doing all right. But beyond that, it's this idea that like almost they sell this dream to an audience of going viral, of being big and famous on the internet. If you pay for verification, we'll give you maybe a little boost in the algorithm. And I look at that and think about the NFT craze and like, well, if you buy this, maybe you'll get rich. Have you noticed the, a shift in the kind of the way in which people are interacting on the platform once verification became a thing you could just sling a few dollars at? It's funny because it's like in one, in the previous version, getting verified is almost like a reward for being really good at the platform. It's like a status thing. Like you're the best at it and you're like an actual genuine creator. Whereas I'm guessing now with the eleven ninety nine a month, it's like you don't need to be good at Twitter or like really providing value on Twitter. And you don't, uh, this is my guess, right? Uh, or on Instagram, you don't need to be good at it. You just sort of need to start paying. Is there a way to manage those services where they can still make money from things like verification whilst not losing trust? Because I, I think no. the thing... That, okay, right. <laughs> I was going to give context to it, but yeah, no, no you, give, you, you no, no, give some context. I mean, I, I, I genuinely think that that Corey Doctorow's in shitification, it actually really... <laughs> you know you only get to say it three times. Is it three or that? four? I think I've got four now. Okay, so, you've got um, one left. left. Okay, good. Uh, Please address your complaints to uh, Ryan. <laughs> I think with with this idea, it, it really does hit the nail on the head of that, of, of just taking the utility away from, from what a platform was when it began and shifting it towards making money for, for someone. And that is the crux of my argument, I think, here. Um, but please, like, go ahead, tell me why maybe I'm wrong. No, no, I don't, it's not a, <laughs> not a question of anything you're wrong at all. I guess with Twitter, you know, bleeding money, right, as a company, uh, at, at that particular point in time, confidence with advertisers was shot in part because of uh, some things that Elon Musk decided early on. They have limited means to generate money, so they create this, they they recognise that there's something within the ecosystem that people associate value with. It's 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 got value because it's scarce, right, because it was not available to everyone, so they monetize it. I understand the mechanics of it. I understand what they're thinking of it. But it was almost like the lesson of 
if you make a bunch of changes, you'll lose advertisers. It's like the lesson wasn't quite absorbed there because when you take something that was known as like, oh, this is a blue tick means we can vaguely trust that this person's real. You take that away. I'm trying to be, to rationalize that they're a business and they have, they have a small opportunity to make money. But at the same time, every time they do one of these changes, it ebbs away at the 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 thing the, the the trust factors, and I'm trying to work out as it currently stands: is there a pathway out of that mess for them? There you go, got there in the end. What, what's that like when you're on it, Mark? Like, is it is it you oh, said I just before look. that it's sort of ch- you said before it's sort of changing the shape of what Twitter feels like? Because I think that's really important, right? Because like if you want to track that pathway, like what does it feel like to be on it? Like that's kind of a good test of like whether or not this will work or can be turned around and what are you noticing? I've noticed that where once upon a time you could check again, like if somebody says something outrageous, you would at least take a beat to go, wait, is that a real person? Oh, okay. And, and you know, obviously there's, there's rules around if you're a parody account and, and whatnot. But I look at it now and go, it's actually too hard to keep track and the whole point behind Twitter is its speed so you don't pay attention to it. And it means I'm even more reticent to engage. Like I, lo- I, lo- I open up Twitter every day. Mm. I read it. I very rarely post. And I think it's added to that reticence. And I think th- if I'm re- feeling that way, I suspect a lot of people are feeling that way. And I suspect that the long-term engagement is, is low. Like I know Elon Musk loves whenever engagement's high, usually around a crisis of some kind, or usually because he said something not nonsen- nonsensical, that's when engagement lifts. But actually in the long run of things, I would be curious to know whether engagement is actually getting lower, particularly with long-term users, people that were on board for a long time. It's a, it's a question more than anything, Tash. I mean, I feel like there's just a lot of pollution on the internet at the moment, um, including on Meta and X. It's hard for me to honestly be like, yes, it's like this feature is going to make it more trustworthy in the short term because that's just not there. There are obviously like great sources, but I wouldn't necessarily say that Meta and X are that they feel high trust places at the moment. <laughs> that's, not to, that's not to say that trust can't be rebuilt, but that's not. That would not be like the conclusion if I had to have one. Um, would not be that Meta and X feel like high trust places. Fair. Jack. You know what's weird is we there's this weird tension now. Like we used to go on these platforms and let the algorithm decide what we'd see and they tweak the algorithms in ways that made us stay on the platform longer. And I think the alienating aspect for a lot of people here is that now the algorithms are tweaked by actual users paying money. And so that aspect to me takes away a lot of the fundamental joy and power of using Twitter back in the day. And Mm. so that's the thing that I don't think they can win back advertisers' belief because of algorithmic biases towards paid creators. Download the show is what you're listening to. Lastly on the program, who is better at picking you a date? You, your mum, or your friends? Tinder have... (laughs) introduced a function, Tash, where friends and family can help you make a good match, apparently. Yeah. So, yeah, dating app Tinder, which was owned by Match Group, it actually lets friends and family, um, like, recommend potential matches. So bringing them much more into the, like, dating journey um, than ever before, or at least in terms of, like, um, digitally ever before. It's called the matchmaker feature. My favourite part of this is that Tinder says it makes dating, quote, 
a team sport, Jack. <laughs> okay, so there's a part of this that just goes, that goes, okay, obviously just a publicity stunt. But I suppose there is an argument that in a pre-internet age, dating was much more of a group activity, right? Like it is something that, you know, group dates and double dates and meeting people on social occasions, there was always a, a broader social context to it. Is this returning an aspect of that too, what's, what has often become a case of people sitting there swiping left and swiping right? I feel like a terrible guess because the answer is no and then I can just stop and not talk anymore. But I, Don't I do, do that. I truly do believe, right, <laughs> that like, obviously it's a publicity stunt in some way. You want people to come onto your app for whatever reason you want them to come on. But you, you are right. Like when you're talking about your dates, you want to get some sort of some group of people around you that maybe either confirm your biases or like there's a lot of red flags there, my friend. Yeah. Um, and as someone who is all green flags, um, if you're listening and see me on Tinder, I'm not I'm not on Tinder. I'm not, that's a joke, a bad joke, sorry. Yeah, but there'll um, be a deep fake of you within 20 minutes. So. <laughs> um, it actually reminded me, Mark, of this film that's about to release called Fingernails. I don't know if you've heard about this, but it's basically this um, story where people's um, partners are determined by an algorithm, by a machine sort of you know, a silly future dystopian love story. And I was thinking about that when I, when I read about this Tinder story, because like it, it may feel like we're putting the decision into like our friends and family's hands by sharing these profiles, but guess what? The algorithms still serve that up to you first. And the people that were served up to you are actually served up to you via all of Tinder's backend. I'm I'm such a technophobe. There's this word called inch. No, it doesn't matter. (laughs) Jack's having a moment. Uh, Tash, <laughs> what do you think about the idea? Is it returning some social component to dating that has become an increasingly singular thing where you sit there and you, you know, sit there and you swipe left and swipe right all by yourself? Yeah, it's so funny. I think we definitely need to compare like the experience of dating for men and women. Yeah, like I think dating, definitely. I think dating is hard for everybody. I think that it involves, you know, hope and optimism as well as feelings like rejection. Um, so for across the board, there's challenges, right? But I do think um you know, the need for women to maybe verify people is a lot harder. I mean, I got sent by a friend the other day, a kind of basically like an informal version of this, like, could you, do do you know this person, or that kind of thing. And I think that that would be a, that's almost like a, less the kind of like um, the community setting up of setting up a partner for holy matrimony and more kind of a like um, women navigating an environment where they have had negative experiences and they do have to probably raise the bar of ver- like this, you know, it's, it's a different risk profile, I guess. My experience uh, with talking to other people on these apps is that, you know, there is always a little bit of a social component to it anyway. Like if somebody's sitting there and they're swiping left and right, you often sit with sit with friends going, what do you think of this? What do you think of yeah, that? So it's sort of like... Totally. It's like they've already... In, they're kind of integrating what happens yeah, already, right? which probably means they've marked... Like they've done their research in a way in the sense they're like, okay, well, this is how people are already using the app. So we're kind of like responding to that and reflecting like how the customer would work in real time. I kind of see... I'm kind of like... I see the thinking and maybe... It, it, maybe it's just there to be like, hey, it's better to <laughs> involve more people in this process um, or something like that. What do you guys think? The, the one thing that gets me is like this is a Tinder profile of a person. So we've already boiled down this person to a very like – you know, um, mm. five line summary of who they are. Totally. And so it's already a simulation of an actual human that's being. That's right. So extent. it's like a simulation of a person and then you're trying to get a group consensus on this simulation of so it's it's always gonna be hard on these these apps to actually go, mm-hmm. Yeah, we've made a good decision. I would just say just go sit at a bar and just uh 
talk to people. I know that this is a very Adelaide thing. Maybe <laughs> I keep I keep hearing this. One of my friends has said to me the other day. She said. Only people from Adelaide sit in a bar and talk to people. You don't do that in Sydney. Just t- sit there by yourself and enjoy your beer. All right. Well, we need to send Jack out to a bar and see what happens <laughs> with that. I think it's great advice. Anyway, we are out of time. Uh, Jack needs to go to a bar. And please, if you see a lonely doctor I there, love that. Just, just go give him, go, go buy him a drink. My um, mum will love that. <laughs> we are out of time. Huge thank you to our guest this week, Jack Ryan. Yes, he's a doctor. Tell your mum. Uh, from ABC Science and Natasha Gilzo, tech reporter and product lead at Missing Perspectives. Tash, thanks so much for joining us on the show. Thank you for having thanks, me. mate. And we will catch you next week. My name is Mark Fennell and thank you for listening to another episode of Download This Show. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.